0: I just want to ask a question that I want to, to frame our, our thoughts and our discussion around holiness. Uh, we're not going to talk about it right now, but I want you to have this in your mind as we listen to this scripture. And the question is this, how can you get close to fire without getting burned? How can you get close to fire without getting burned? Let's stand together as we prepare to worship the Lord through the reading and, and meditating of scripture. We're going to be reading Leviticus chapter 16, verses 1 through 5, then verses 20 through 22, and then verses 29 and 30. If you, if you didn't catch that, that's okay. It's going to be on the screen. You can read along with us out loud. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron when they drew near before the Lord and died. And the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron your brother not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat that is on the ark, so that he may not die. For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. But in this way, Aaron shall come into the holy place with a bull from the herd for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He shall put on the holy linen coat and shall have the linen garment. On his body, and he shall tie the linen sash round his waist, and wear the linen turban. These are the holy garments. He shall bathe his body in water, and then put them on. And he shall take from the congregation of the people of Israel two male goats for a sin offering, and one ram for a burnt offering. Verse twenty. And when he has made an end of the toning for the holy place and the tent of meeting. In the altar, he shall present the live goat. And Aaron shall lay both of his hands on the head of the live goat, and confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel, and all their transgressions, all their sins. And he shall put them on the head of the goat, and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of the man who is in readiness. The goat shall bear all their iniquities on itself. To a remote area and he shall let the goat go free in the wilderness verse 29 and it shall be a statute to you forever that in in the seventh month of the tenth day of the month you shall afflict yourselves and shall do no work either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you for on this day shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you you shall be clean before the Lord from all your sins. This is the word of the Lord to us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your word says that you are a consuming fire. That there there's a dimension of your holiness that demands absolute and complete obedience, without which no man or woman can stand before you. And God, we recognize that we are are sinners, that we are incapable of standing before you free from sin, free from those things that would uh, make us impure or unclean. So God, show us how you have made a way for us to stand before you. Show us a way how, how we can come into relationship with you despite our own imperfection and sin and despite your absolute holiness. I pray that you would be lifted up, Jesus Christ, that we would appreciate the depth of our need and our sin, and at the same time, the depth of your grace. We pray these things all in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. You guys can be seated. I've got five points, if you're going to keep track. Five points that we're going to draw from this text. I'm not going to go verse by verse, but I would encourage you to go back to Leviticus chapter 16 and read through it on your own. Uh, when you read through this, you might be tempted to relegate th- these verses to a place of, okay, that's some weird stuff that they did back then. I'm so glad I'm a Christian in the 21st century. I don't have to worry about that now. But but uh, Paul tells us that the things in the Old Testament are written for our instruction and ed- and, and example. and Not that we should begin to reconstitute the, the sacrificial system, but because something about this is going to show us what it means to be Made right with God through Jesus Christ, and if you don't appreciate this, it's a bit like going to to Walmart and and getting some some crayons for your kids, and you you go and you look, and all you see are uh, sixteen shades of of black and white, or or here's here's fourteen different shades of brown, and and it it. Lacks the, the vividness and the vitality of the full spectrum of colors. When we, when we just relegate our, our understanding of God and His love to just the few things that are said in the New Testament, we're really uh, limiting our ability to appreciate what God has done. And so I just want you to engage your faith and your minds as we consider a text out of Leviticus, knowing that you might otherwise be tempted to kind of tune me out. And, and say, well, that's okay, that's great for those who like to study the Bible or, or they're interested in, in Old Testament history, but, but for me, you know, I'm an engineer and I have these problems and I live in this situation. I don't know how applicable this is. I, w- I want to encourage you that this is very applicable to your life and my life. Um, the first point that we can see out of this text is that my sin and your sin is much more serious than we think. Happy Sunday. My sin, the things I do which are uh, against the grain of God's will, his instruction, the things that, that express disobedience to him, the things that, that make me a rebel in his kingdom, those things are much worse than I'd like to think that they are. And unfortunately, the same is true for you as well. Your sins are much worse Than you think that they are. Moses opens up and he says, The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron when they drew near before the Lord and died. So the context for this whole situation is that Aaron, who is the high priest, He's chosen by God. He's going to serve the Lord in in this temple, this tabernacle. He's going to be the the one who goes before the Lord, offers sacrifices. This was the way that they related to the Lord. He and his sons were to serve God, and his two sons chose to to try and serve God, but they did it in a wrong way. If we were to go to Leviticus chapter 10, we, we can see the story, and you may or may not be familiar with it. But it says in Leviticus chapter 10, verses 1 and following, Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer, this little thing that held incense, and put fire in it and laid the incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. So God had given them commands about how they were to relate to God, how they were to worship him. And they, these two guys got together and said, you know what, let's, do, let's, let's go above and beyond. Let's do an enrichment work. Let's do some extra credit with God. And fire came out from before the Lord, it says in verse 2, and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord has said, among those who are near me, I will be sanctified. And before all the people, I will be glorified. In other words, God says to Aaron, among those who serve me, I'm going to be held in the kind of holiness and separateness that makes sure that you cross every T and dot every I. That doesn't begin to get creative or to get extemporaneous in the way that we worship God. God is specific about the type of worship that he wants. It's gotten really quiet in here because we're all Americans. And we don't like to be told that there are ways that are inappropriate for us to worship God. It, isn't it enough, God, that I, that I choose to give my life to you? Can't I choose the ways in which I en- engage with you? The word says no. And so... Nadab and Abihu die by fire. And Moses, this is an awkward family situation. This is his, his older brother Aaron. Moses has to look at his older brother in the eye and say, basically your sons did not hold God in the kind of holiness that he required. And so he judged them and killed them. And he was righteous in doing that. And God's people will glorify this God. And it says that Aaron held his peace. I mean, the grief, the anger, the frustration. What may not seem like a big deal to us is a huge deal to God. Family, what may not seem like a big deal to you in your life? It's just a small sin. It's just a little thing. It's just, it's just a minor compromise, is a, it's a huge deal to God. It's a huge deal to God. And, and I want to get to the redemption side of things. I want to get to the place where God saves us and he receives us and he accepts us. But we can't get there until we recognize that what he has to save us from, what he has, has to deal with is the, the sinfulness of our sin. The wretchedness of our brokenness. The, not brokenness, sorry. Evil. It's, it's not just that, oh man, bad things have happened to me. No, it's that I've done bad things. And, and even those things that I've done that I've called bad are worse than I think they are. Unless you think that this is just a, a one-off situation, Adam and Eve get judged for what? For eating an apple. Not an apple. Fruit. I don't know where that got snuck in. Apples are great. Um, they ate some fruit and got kicked out of Eden. Moses, dealing with... These, these Israelites who constantly were complaining and, and, and frustrated and not trusting God and, and, and trying to take over or, or do ridiculous things, just knuckleheads. At one point, they, they go to him and say, we don't have any water. We, and God had separated the Red Sea. He had given them quail. He had given them manna. He would given them water. And, and Moses just gets frustrated, and he takes his staff, and he says, fine, and bangs a rock. Water comes out. Amazing miracle of God. And yet, at the same time, God judges Moses because he does not hold God as holy in that moment. He responds in anger and presumption. This man of God who had dealt with these people for now 80 years about would never get to see the promised land. This man who had been raised up for the purposes of of bringing the Israelites out of Egypt, out of slavery, into redemption, into the promised land, because he knocked on a rock twice, was now unable to go into the promised land. Moses, right? If you think that you're pretty okay, but Moses doesn't make it, it, it ought to give you a moment to pause. There's these this guy named Uzzah in 2 Samuel, uh, s- some history, the Ark of the Covenant, which was, if you're not in the, the Ark of the Covenant was this box, inside the box were a number of Israelite um, memorabilia is the wrong answer, but we'll go with that for now, um, the, the Ten Commandments were in there. The, one of the staff, the staff of Aaron. Again, if you don't know about that, just read Exodus. But all these important things were in this ark, and with it, when the ark was in the temple or the tabernacle, on top of the ark, there was this place called the mercy seat, and that's where the presence of God would be. So this ark kind of represented God, and as the history of Israel progressed, that ark got taken away from the Israelites by their enemies, the Philistines. But then it's returned back to the Israelites, and, and they're super excited. Uh, David is, is the king at the time, and he's so thankful to, to have it coming back. And they have it being brought back from the Philistines, but it's not being brought back in the way that God had, had told them. There, there was, it was a box, and it had these rings on the front and back, both sides, and there were supposed to be these acacia wood poles that were inlaid with gold or uh, covered in gold that they were supposed to carry the ark on. Well, it was being carried on a cart because the Philistines were not uh, good Jews and they did not know the rules. And so they sent it back on a cart. And so they're excited. Uh, the Israelites are excited. They're, they're bringing the ark, the presence of God, this, this gift of God that represented his power and strength and pr- presence uh, back. <clears throat> and it says in verse 5 of chapter 6 of 2 Samuel, and David and all the house of Israel were making merry before the Lord with songs and lyres and harps. And tap, tambourines and castanets and cymbals. And when they came to the threshing floor of, of Nacon, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it for the oxen stumbled. So the ark is being pulled by these oxen. And then they see it just kind of do do Oh no, this holy relic of God is about to fall. And so what does Uzzah do like a good Jewish boy? I'm going to save it. Puts his hand on it. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against against Uzzah and God struck him down there because of his error. And he died there before the ark of God. This is a guy, basically he was in church. And he was doing church type stuff. But he didn't hold God as holy. He didn't understand or recognize or remember that, that you don't do things outside of the way that God has prescribed them, and God killed them. And and lest you think again that, that, well, that was an Old Testament problem. God was really angry in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, he's just so loving and kind and happy. And and he is loving and kind, and I'm sure he is happy. But in Acts chapter 5, as the church is really getting going here. There's a lot of good things happening. You know, they're, they're standing with the apostles, and, and there are people who are experiencing miracles, and, and the numbers were being added, and it's, it's, it's becoming a mega church, and they're excited. Acts chapter 5, everyone's getting so pumped, and, and all the people who are more well-off are giving off. They're, they're, they're selling their real estate, right? This is The market was hot, and, and it, was, it was hotter than Loudoun County, what, last year, two years ago? I don't know. Not now. Um, and, and so they're selling their, their properties and they're, they're giving the money to the, to the apostles for the needs of the people. But a man named Ananias with his wife, Sapphira, sold a piece of property and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. At this point, that's not a problem. But... Uh, what he didn't do was let the truth be the truth. It says in verse 3, But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds? But the issue wasn't that he kept back part of the money. Keep keep listening to to what Peter says. While it remained unsold, did not it remain unsold? your own? And after it was sold, was it not all at your disposal? So in other words, he says, the money was yours to do with it whatever you wanted. Why is it that you contrived this deed in your heart? You've not lied to men, but to God. In other words, he was trying to present himself as more holy than he was, right? He wanted to give what appeared to be all to God, but keeping some of it. It should make us a little nervous. Pastor JC was talking about how money is funny sometimes and 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 this is true and it does not say that he was um, chastised and went out shamed no it says um, when Ananias heard these words he fell down and breathed his last and then his wife comes in and and Peter asks basically the same thing you know how much money did you make and she lies and she dies Our sin is much more serious than we think. My sin is much more serious than I think. And your sin is much more serious than you think. Those things that you rationalize, you try to give your reasons, you try to to couch it around the circumstances and the situations. Well, it happened because, you know, it was late at night, and, and I was alone, and it was frustrating, and I had a long day at work, or, you know, the, she said this thing to me, and, and, and she was, can you, I mean, God, you were there, you saw how she acted, or, or you, you've seen his track record and how he did those things, and, 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 and how I had to, we, we begin to try and convince both ourself and God that, you know, if you really understood the circumstances, God, you would understand why I did this. You would understand why this is not that big a deal. But the problem is that our sin is not big because our circumstances, our sin is big because our God is holy. Our sin is much worse than we think because God is holier than we realize. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse nine, it says this. He's talking about, um, nope, that's not right. 29, verse 29. Um, He says, therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, talking about the kingdom of God. And let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. For our God is a consuming fire. Family, this is, I hope that you're listening because this is a word for us. You know what the American church doesn't struggle with? Casualness. Framed as, quote unquote, intimacy. We have an intimate worship environment. Come as you are. Don't worry about X, Y, and Z. And there's an element of truth to that. I mean, I'm not wearing, I'm wearing jeans. I mean, I'm sure there are Baptist pastors from my past who are just furious right now, and they don't quite know why. They just know something's wrong. So, so please don't hear me when I say that holiness equals necessarily something uh, outwardly. But there has to be an outward expression of holiness. And, and certainly God is our friend. He is our Father. He is kind, he is loving, he is patient, he invites the children to come to him. At the same time though, God expects us to call him and treat him with reverence and awe. And part of that is we don't even know what that looks like because reverence and awe are not really things that we experience very often. Because we're on our devices numbing ourselves to the world around us. I I, I constantly reflect on my drive-in, if you've ever listened to me, if you're new, I, I come from Winchester and drive-in. We used to live in Leesburg, but then, anyways, it's a story. Uh, but, but the drive-in is amazing, and I'm almost always floored by the, the view. Um, and, and that's by design on God's part. There are things that he's built into creation to draw our hearts up to say, my goodness. When our heart's really saying, My God. And I don't mean that in, I mean that literally. My God, you've made an amazing thing. This is, this is wonderful. This is amazing. This is, but there's so much in our world that militates against being able to sense that awe and wonder and, and reverence. And because of that, we don't, we don't connect necessarily as much to the holiness of God, and we don't think that our sin is that serious, but it is. Um, you know, I, I mentioned that that I, I like the warmth in the, in the winter. And we have our fireplace and we've, we started using it this year. And uh, when it's warm, when it's cold outside of fireplaces, it's great. Um, but one thing I have been reminded of is that fire is really hot. I know that's, you're like, yes, Eddie, it is hot. Should we, do we need to help you? Um, but fire is hot. And, and fire isn't hot some of the time. It's not like hotness um, or, or heat is like an outfit that fire chooses to wear that day. Like, am I going to wear heat? I'll wear lukewarmness today. No, fire is always hot. There's never a point at which you strike a match, you see that red flame, and you just do this. You're like, oh, it's doing nothing. No, you, please don't do that. Are there any children in the room? Okay, well, teenagers don't do that either. Um, Adults don't do that, but if you do, it's your fault. Um, fire is capable of reducing wood and, and honestly most things to ash. I mean, I, it's, it's been crazy. We, we, we bought, I called this, this nursery. I was like, do you guys have any wood? She's like, yeah, we got these bins. And I was like, how, you know, how, much, how much are in the bins? And she's, I, I don't know, a whole lot of wood. So we went and picked up a whole lot of wood. And, and the the pieces of wood were just—I mean—they barely were cut, so they're like this big, this wide, and you know, you're just, ah, this is great. I'm strong. We're doing a good thing. And, and I remember putting one of the logs in the fire and thinking this is gonna last forever. And like 30 minutes later, it's like ash. I'm like, that was that was a very big and expensive log fire. You were supposed to kind of, you know, enjoy that for a while, not just chew it up and. Fires can reduce things to ash. It's the nature of fire to burn. and and But we sometimes want to approach God as though, even though he's a consuming fire, for us, he'll change his nature. The word says that God is a consuming fire. God, I know you're a consuming fire, but that, that you'll burn up anyone who, who expresses unholiness, who's got sin in their life, but... But you and me, you know, we're like, you know, I, I read the story, God, in, in, in the Old Testament about those three brothers, and they were in, in the fire, and they weren't consumed. That's like me, right? The answer is no. They were trusting in God by faith, and God was delivering them, us and our sin, not so much. He cannot help but be fire. He cannot help but be Holy. And because of that, our sin is much more serious than we think. Now, the good news is that even though our sin is much worse than we think, God's grace is also much greater than we realize. So this whole section in, in Leviticus has to do with this thing called the Day of Atonement. Yom Kippur, if, if you want the Jewish uh, H- Hebrew name. Uh, the, on, this, on this day, that was really kind of instituted because of the, the two sons, Nadab and Abihu, on this day, God was saying, We're going to do a reset on, on the tabernacle, on the altar, on the things, on the people, and I'm going to make sure that everyone is holy. We're going to reestablish the fact that you are all set apart from my purposes. We're going to reestablish and be reminded of the fact that I am always set apart from my creation, that I am holy, that I'm going to be sanctified. And when when Moses said that that God was going to be sanctified, what he was not saying was that God was going to go from lesser holiness to greater holiness. When you and I are sanctified, that word means to be made holy. When you and I are sanctified, it means that we go from less sin to more sin, from less obedience to more obedience. But when we say that God is sanctified, we're saying that we're holding him separate more than we used to. Not that he's becoming more holy, we're recognizing that holiness more than we used to. And this day of atonement was a day to reset all of that. They would have, well, Aaron would have to, first of all, sacrifice an animal for himself. Right? There's this bull that he sacrifices. It's going to be sacrificed for himself. And then there are these two goats that have to be sacrificed. The first goat would be slaughtered. It would be a substitute that was sacrificed for the sins of the people. And, and I want you to, just for a moment, you're all adults here. This is not going to be scary for our children. I want you to engage yourselves. I mean, think of the last time, maybe you bought some chicken. It was a chicken thigh. You were about to get ready to fry that bad boy. It was going to be Delicious. But then you flip it over and you see that that little ball socket joint and there's blood. And you're like, ugh. And some, some of you are like, yeah, that's why you put it in the salt water and draw that stuff out. I don't have time for that. You just got to work with what you got. But it's gross, right? Or, or the last time, parents, you saw your kid and they, they came in and they were like, my arm fell off. I fell off my bike and it just got chopped off and you're just dying on the inside because you're... Get your arm back on. It's oh, there's blood everywhere. And it's just so upsetting. Or that time where you you, you got a scratch and and uh, this is gonna get real visceral. And you smelled it and it smelled gross. That blood smell, that irony smell. Or maybe you you bit your you know your chewing gum because you're stressed out. And then you're like talking to your friend. And, then, and you're like oh, I hate everything. Just me. The insides of my gums, or my my cheeks, probably look like the worst prison criminal you've ever met. I mean, just, anyways. But you get the blood in your mouth, and you're like, this tastes terrible. This is a bad thing. I'm trying to get all of those things before you because this whole process by which God's holiness was being brought to bear was bloody. They would slaughter that. When when the Bible talks about slaughtering a goat, they didn't go to Giant and buy butchered goat. It wasn't like okay, here's I'm going to take this terrorist heater. All right, Billy, you go back there and do whatever you do with that thing and bring it out clean to me. You put the bags, put the entrails in a bag, and I'll I'll deal with it. No, the priest was a butcher, and and he had to take that blood, and he had to put some of the blood on. Uh, the, the different parts of the, the tabernacle. He had to go to the altar. And I'm not talking about a place where people come and pray. No, I'm talking about a huge grill with horns. I mean, just, uh, you know, this, is, this is no black stone. This is the real thing. And, and he would take some of the blood and wipe it on there. And I imagine if you walked in, it didn't smell like, oh, what a lovely place, flowers, roses, there was the smell of death. There's a the smell of blood and incense. Because our sin demanded a sacrifice. Didn't just demand the word sacrifice, but demanded that something cease to live. So they'd take this goat, kill it, sacrifice it. And through the death of the goat, the people would be reconciled. The goat brought what's called Atonement. It's this word that we use, Uh, it comes from old English, means at one mint." So whereas we were at odds with God, what happens is the goat dies and we are brought at one. We're reconciled to God. We're brought back into right relationship with God. And that was the first goat. The second goat... Is often referred to as the scapegoat. You ever wonder where that came from? The high priest would confess the sins of the people while putting his hands on the head of the second goat, and you could almost imagine just how how symbolically rat, uh, um, rascally the people of God were. Because imagine putting your hand on this goat, and the goat being like, "Get off! What are you doing? Stop that!" And he's putting his hand on, on, on the goat's head, and God, we we confess our our anger, our Wickedness, our idolatry, our adultery, our lying, our cheating, our stealing, our our greed, our lust. We we confess it all. He begins to confess all the things that Israel had done that year. To the best of his ability. And the people are watching. And then there's this guy whose job it is to just chase that goat into the woods. And he follows the goat into the woods, and the people watch. As their sins are chased into the wilderness. And and we see this grisly yet great, amazing picture of the grace of God. See, family, the grace of God is not, it's it's not some sort of Disney thing where we're all just skipping down the road and yay, God loves us. Hooray! You know, why don't we just all get happy because God is good? No, the grace of God it's it's shrouded in blood. And we see the grace of God expressed in this, that every year, one of, one of the many sacrifices they would make would be this sacrifice of the goat that would die and the goat that would be taken out. And one goat pictured our atonement, or another word is propitiation, the thing that would make God, he would appease his wrath. Again, words that don't mean a whole lot to us, but God is angry about sin, And and he can't just be angry about sin, but not angry about the sinners. He's angry about the sinners who choose to sin. And and when this this goat was sacrificed, that that wrath, that anger was appeased. God was no longer angry. But the sin was still there. And so this goat over here pictured God taking our sins far away from us. And, And we saw and we see every year, can you imagine? Every year, God paying for our sins, God taking our sins, God paying for our sins, and God taking our sins. Each year, the people would get a picture not of only not only of how sinful they were, but of how gracious God was. God provided a way for them to be cleansed. Now, we see that our sin is much more serious than than. We would count it to be, and and God's grace is much greater. But but I am not up here sacrificing any animals, and that is by design. If you ever go to a church where they sacrifice animals, leave. Real quick, don't even don't eat the donuts. Just go. You don't no, just nope. Why don't we have an atonement every year now? How how does God deal with our sin? It's not because we're better. Can I just say that? Your sin stinks just as bad as their sin did. Our sin is is just as bad. How does God deal with our sin? Well, if if you want an an exhaustive answer, read the book of Hebrews, but I'm just going to quote a few um, verses. In Hebrews, which is in the New Testament, chapter 9, verse 11, it says, But when Christ appeared, when Christ came to earth, as the great high priest, or as a high priest of good things that have come, then through a greater and more tent, perfect tent, um, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. I'm going to break that down. So in the Old Testament, as we just saw, Aaron or the other high priest would go into the, high, into the, 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 the tent. But he wouldn't just go, he'd have to kill these animals, he'd have to purify himself, he'd have to make sure the the altar was purified, and then he could go into the presence every year. Now, Jesus comes as a more perfect high priest, and the word says that he doesn't enter by by the blood of goats or calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. You see, when Jesus came to die on the cross for our sins, he was becoming for us both the high priest and the sacrifice he was going to become the one who would stand between God and his people like Aaron stood between God and his people as the high priest but he was also going to become the one whose blood was going to be shed to cleanse his people it was the shed blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us of our sin and that makes us uh, right before God that atones for our sin that propitiates the anger of God that, that makes God go from angry over our sin to not angry over our sin But it was also the death of Jesus Christ that took our sin and and cast it away. And the word says in Romans that God made him who knew no sin, Jesus Christ, God made him who knew no sin to be sin so that you and I could, what, become the righteousness of God. God treated Jesus on the cross as the worst of all possible criminals. Treated him with disdain, shame, anger, just Wrath. So that when he looks at us, he can treat us like his beloved son. And Jesus, because of who he was, both God and man, only had to do this once. In 1 John, John says this. 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. He says, he, talking about Jesus, is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. In other words, Jesus, by his death, took God from being angry about our sin to no longer being angry about our sin. Jesus is our perfect high priest and our perfect sacrifice. I mean, there's so much difference. Aaron got into this whole thing because his sons messed it up. And so he had to provide a sacrifice for himself to cleanse himself because otherwise he would not be fit to stand before the presence of God. God would kill him just like he did, Nadab and Abihu and Uzzah and others who had stood into the presence of God in their unholiness. Aaron had to be cleansed, but Jesus was already cleansed. And whereas the atoning sacrifice had to be made annually, Jesus' death was enough to provide eternal forgiveness for his people. Whereas the scapegoat only pictured God taking away our sins, Jesus has really taken our sins away. Hallelujah. How many of you have a record of sin that you need taken away? And how many of you know that it was taken away by Jesus Christ? Your sin is much worse than you could think it is, but your grace by God is much greater than you could ever hope for. In Jesus' And on his death on the cross, we see our sin is greater than we are comfortable admitting. And God's grace is greater than we often realize. So what do we do? What do we do about all of this? We worship. We thank him. How do they respond? How are they to respond? <clears throat> In verse 29 it says, And it shall be a statute for you forever that in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict yourselves, probably that meant fasting, and shall do no other work, either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. For on this day shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you. You shall be clean before the Lord from all your sins. What they had to do was to trust God. The high priest was doing all the work on that day, and they didn't eat, and so they were hungry and they were thoughtful, but there was nothing that they could do to produce anything in this process. It wasn't Aaron saying, okay, everybody, let's get together. Everybody got their goat? Got your knife? All right, one, two, three. No, the high priest was doing all the work representing the the provision of God, and the people were what? Receiving. Receiving. And, and this is important because you and I, when we think about our sin, we, we don't want God to do something for us. We want to be able to say, God, I know i messed up, but I can fix it. I can fix it. Husbands, you've been there a thousand times. Sweetheart, I know I did something wrong. I can fix it. And she's like, no, nope, you can't. You can't fix. Anyways. Um, we can't fix it. We can't fix our sin. You can't be a better person you can, you know, curse less. You can steal less. You can do those things, but that does not remove the stain of sin. Right? There's no, there's no um, you can't go to, to Target and get, you know, oxyclean sin version. You know, takes out all the, 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 the dirt stains and, you know, those sins that are just so persnickety. There, there's nothing that you and I can do to add to this equation. Except to trust God, we receive it by faith it's not your good behavior that saves you it 's not your your offering that saves you it's not your um, you doing better than the the guy in the, in the next cubicle over. Have you seen X, y, and Z about how he acts that doesn't save you it's not it's Maybe none of those things tap on you, but but we all have some sort of functional savior that we pursue. Like if I just do this, or I have this, or do this, then then I can be saved. But there's no, no, no. We have to receive God's grace through faith. And it goes on. And if you read the rest of Leviticus, there there are a lot of rules about how they are to live in light of God's provision. So God has made them holy on this day of atonement. Now how are they to live? And that, that's the question before us as we, as we think about holiness, as we think about the fact that God is completely separate from us. How are we to respond? For some of you, there, there is a sin or there are several sins that came to mind. You feel real guilty about it. You're trying not to look me in the eye. You're hoping that I don't look at you in the eyes right now. And I'm not trying to look at you in the eyes, but what I'm saying is that the Holy Spirit is working in your heart right now. And I want to encourage you, while it is today, turn from your sin. Trust in Jesus Christ. Trust in his provision over your sin. For, for some of you, there, there are things that God has been calling you to do. Maybe it's read your Bible. How, how's that going? I'm, I missed reading my You know, I I try to read a chapter or or more every day, and I missed it two days ago. So welcome to the club. But how are you doing with that? Maybe it's praying. Maybe it's serving in the church. Maybe it's being in a small group. What have you been avoiding that God's been saying, come and do this thing? Come and express your gratitude in this way. Or stop doing this other thing holy living results from our experience of God's grace, when we really begin to appreciate God's grace and his holiness, we'll be given a sense of awe and wonder, and at the same time, obedience. You know, during worship, I was reading Isaiah chapter 6 about the Lord being lifted up high and, and, and Isaiah saying, woe is me. And I was trying to picture it in my head because I wanted a picture of God's holiness. And my prayer for us is that we would get a sense of God's holiness, not so that we would become really angry, staunch, serious people, but that we would be so filled with the the proper righteous fear of God that we would be willing to do what, what can only happen as a result of appreciating the sinfulness of our sin and the grace of God the kind of radical living that comes when we've seen fire and we've seen that we've been saved from the fire. How serious is your sin? Look at the cross. I'll say it again. How serious is your sin? How serious are those things that, uh, you know, Pastor Eddie, I'm not gonna talk to you over lunch about it, but I know that there's some things that are messed up in my life. How serious are those things? Look at the cross. Jesus had to die for them how gracious is God. Look at the cross. Jesus did die for them. Jesus is our great high priest and our perfect sacrifice. Listen to the words of this hymn, You know, I was thinking about how, how do I tie this thing up, and this song came to mind. It's a, it's a hymn, so we, you've probably, unless you come from other liturgical backgrounds, may not have heard it, but it's really good. I encourage you to to, to find it on the internet. There, I think Sojourn Music has a ver- version that I've listened to. It's either them or... To ask. Anyways, but here's the song. Before the throne of God above. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. A great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. My name is written on his hands. My name is hidden in his hearts, In his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, no power can force me depart, to depart. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and I see him there who made an end to all my sin. Because, of this, because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. Behold him there, the risen lamb, my perfect sinless righteousness, the great unchangeable I am, the king of glory and grace. One with my Lord, I cannot die. My soul is purchased by his blood. My my life is safe with Christ on high, with Christ my Savior and my God. Family, Jesus is your great high priest. Trust him today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are holy and we worship you because of it. We recognize that you are worthy of worship because of your holiness. And at the same time, we recognize that we are not worthy to come into your presence apart from Jesus Christ. God, we thank you that we have an advocate in heaven and that while in heaven he stands, there's none who can separate us from you. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today, today's the day for you to do so. If that's you and you, you want to trust Jesus, trust the grace of God. Would you just raise your hand? I would like to pray with you. Great, I see those two hands. see that hand. Okay, if that was you, just pray this with me. God, I know that I am sinful. There are things in my life that I do that I should not do. There are things in my life that I don't do that I know I should do. And those things separate me from you. God, I I recognize and I, I thank you that you sent Jesus to die on the cross as my substitute for my sins and that he rose from the dead and defeated Satan, sin, and death. And I trust him. Help me to live a life that trusts him. In Jesus' name, amen. If that was you, we'd love to pray with you after service get you on the right steps moving forward. Um, Family, I love you. You're more sinful and rascally than you could ever imagine. But you're much more loved and graceful than you could ever hope for. Happy Sunday.